Let us pray. Oh Lord, would you open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ the King. Jesus went around, of course, talking about the kingdom of God being close at hand. This is R.S. Thomas, the kingdom. It's a long way off, but inside it, there are quite different things going on. Festivals at which the poor man is king and the consumptive is healed. Mirrors in which the blind look at themselves and love looks at them back. And industry is for mending the bent bones and the minds fractured by life. It's a long way off. But to get there takes no time, and admission is free, if you will purge yourself of desire and present yourself with your need only and the simple offering of your faith, green as a leaf. Cullinan One is the largest clear diamond that has ever been extracted from the earth. It's known as the Star of Africa. And a few years ago, it was valued at around 45 million pounds. Cullinan 2 and Cullinan 3 are not quite so large, but they all form part of the crown jewels. And you may have seen them in the Tower of London, or perhaps on the Queen's coffin during the summer as it was taken through the streets of London. The crown jewels, of course, are unmeasurable in terms of their value. They're not actually that old. Most of them were broken down and melted and sold when Cromwell was around during the time of the Commonwealth because, of course, without any monarchy, you had no need for all this stuff. So it got melted down and sold uh, and used to pay for various things, such as the army. So most of the crown jewels that we have come from the time of Charles II and later, 350 years old or so. Quite young in the scheme of things. But that's what we do, isn't it, with a monarchy, with kings and queens. We invest the wealth of the nation in these people because they represent the nation as a single head. They come to represent the gathered community. Crowns are what kings and queens wear. Wealth 
and splendor. And here we are celebrating Christ, the King. Of course, he had a crown as well, didn't he? Not quite so grand, perhaps. Or perhaps it was more grand, being woven of thorns. And he wore it on his throne, on the cross. The other thing monarchs, of course, have is armies. That's part of what you have to have if you have a a nation state, because the nation needs defending. It has borders, borders where laws are enforced within them and invaders are kept out in order that security may be established, law and order within the kingdom. That's why when the queen died, she was accompanied by armed soldiers wearing the weapons of war. That's why whenever the royal family is on a present on a state occasion, they are dressed in military uniforms. Monarchs and armies go together. And so it's not surprising when Pilate is challenging and questioning Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Where is your kingdom? Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from here. This is what we do with kingdoms. When we look at this king, though, we see him on a throne on the cross. And we have to ask the question then, why is this king different? How can you be a king that dies? He had the sign above his head, Inri, standing, of course, for Jesu Nazarene Rex Judea, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the mocking that went on, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. That's what kings do. They save themselves and others around them. Jesus on the cross, of course, utters those words, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Because actually this king was in the act of saving them. Not by saving himself, but by giving himself. And those who were mocking him, those who were deriding him, those who were crucifying him, were the very ones he was in that moment saving. It's difficult for us to comprehend how a king such as this could enact such a life and yet be a king. 
What does it mean if we take a moment to understand how it is that the creator of heaven and earth can be so ill-treated and yet still love enough to give himself for us? God is not threatened by the way we behave, by our bullying, by our fears, by our need to feel secure. God is there for us in the depths of our own darkness. Because he has been into that darkness himself. There is no route into God's kingdom without laying down our lives. That's the point of R.S. Thomas' poem. The kingdom of heaven is a long way off, but to get there takes no time, and admission is free. The offer is, if you will give your life up for others, you will find that your life is already held safe in the hands of the God that gave it to you. And so there is nothing left to fear. And because there is nothing left to fear, it means we are now free to live on this side of the grave. We're called to be children of God's kingdom. We are called to live in the service of this king. And the service of this king is a service of love. Each of you here already in that kingdom you wouldn't be here otherwise. Each of you here has already in one measure and in one sense given your life to this king. Your life is safe in this king's hands. He's given his own life for yours. So brothers and sisters, be free to live and to serve this king, for he is worthy of it. Amen.